the first three years after you plant that apple tree, you really don't want apples growing and you really want to pinch those flowers off. And I know that seems crazy, but the tree in the first couple of years, it needs to develop that root structure. And if it spends time, you know, flowering and then making fruit from those flowers, it's going to expend a lot of energy. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and I guess since this will be our last episode prior to Christmas, I want to go ahead and wish uh, each and every one of you a Merry Christmas. I hope you guys have some time set aside to spend with your family and friends this holiday season, and, and hopefully some time carved out to, to spend in the outdoors as well. Uh, I know a lot of states will soon be wrapping up their deer seasons and if that applies to to where you live i hope you had a great deer season full of uh you know fond memories and and hopefully a freezer full of venison uh, but for some of you in the deep south uh, you're you're just getting into the prime part of your deer season so for those of you i'll just go ahead and say good luck to all of you uh, the rest of us will be living vicariously through you as we watch our social media feeds for those successful uh, late season hunt so enjoy it while while you can uh with deer season winding down hey we thought we would shift our focus this week to some habitat talk and we'll actually be talking with one of our very own uh, mike edwards of new york about planting and maintaining fruit trees uh primarily we're going to be primarily focused on apple trees so uh, as someone who's working to improve my little 15 acres here in georgia uh, tree plantings are a part of my my overall plan, so I'm looking forward to this conversation with Mike, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it as well. Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by longtime NDA partner Banks Outdoors, uh, makers of some incredible hard-sided hunting blinds uh, through their Stump series of blinds, uh, but they also manufacture some other stuff as well, um, gravity feeders, watering systems. Uh, and a whole host of accessories. So be sure to check those guys out at banksoutdoors.com uh, and be sure to let them know that you appreciate them supporting the National Deer Association. Uh, just a reminder, too, that we're still offering our discounted NDA membership for podcast listeners. So you can go to our website at deerassociation.com, click on that Join or Renew button at the top, and use the promo code PODCAST. And you'll not only get $5 off that annual membership, but you'll also get a great looking NDA cap to go with it. And I know a bunch of you have already taken advantage of that offer. And man, we just uh, greatly appreciate your support through that. And one more thing before we jump on the phone here with Mike, uh, we have a brand new online fundraiser that we just kicked off this past Monday called the Rut and Buck Sweepstakes, uh, where we're going to draw 10 winners and each winner gets to pick a prize in the order that they're drawn from just a, a big list of, of great prizes, including a whole host of, of firearms. Uh, there's, I believe, some tools on there, uh, some big quantities of ammo, and a lot of other great prizes. So you can uh, you can get your chances for that or just check out the entire prize list by going to our website at deerassociation.com and look for that, that big running buck sweepstakes banner right there on our homepage. So uh, I would encourage you guys to check that out and get involved 
And I think with that, we can jump on the phone here with Mike Edwards to talk a little bit about planting and maintaining apple trees for deer. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Uh, appreciate you taking out uh, taking time out of your day here to to come on and talk to me a little bit about uh, planting some apple trees. No problem. No problem. I'm looking forward to planting season. Currently, it's 27 degrees here in Western New York, <laughs> and it's snowing, so it's uh, it's definitely uh, cold. And winter is here. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't seen anything like that down here in uh, in Georgia, and uh, I, I'm okay with that. I, I like cold weather when uh, you know when we're in the prime of deer season. But uh, outside of that, I'll I'll take a, a little bit warmer temperatures than than what you're experiencing there. Yeah, I like the cooler weather, but uh, you know, by the time April rolls around, we uh, we've had enough of it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But hey, um, for those who who may not who may not know you, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of what your role is with the National Deer Association? Sure. As you stated, my name is Mike Edwards, and I'm the director of grassroots for the National Deer Association. So I'm a full-time employee, and uh, I manage and work with all of our branches across the U.S. I'm also in charge of national fundraising, um, but primary my work is working with our branches uh, within the organization. I've been a member for a really long time, um, started off actually just as a member and then became a life member, went through the deer steward classes, uh, started a branch in Rochester, New York that was highly successful, became the state president. And then about eight years ago, um, back when we were QDMA, there was an opening for my region and I thought, you know what? I should do this. I love deer, deer hunting, and I love what the organization is about. You know, this would be a really good career shift. And I was a registered nurse in the operating room at the time. Uh, and that was obviously a really good career as well. So I made the switch and I got the job. And then uh, slowly over time with the changes and uh, was regional director and now uh, director of grassroots. So I'm a passionate deer hunter. Uh, I have a small farm here in Western New York and I love being involved with the organization, the volunteers, everything that they do. And we can get into that a little bit. But uh, I always tell the story about what turned me on to the organization. And that was, you know, obviously making my deer season year round rather than just the hunting season. But, you know, trying to improve things. And, you know, hunters have always been conservationists, but trying to be a manager and not that I'm going to manage, you know, to a uh, large degree, you know, the deer in my area, because I have a relatively small property of 87 acres, but, you know, just trying to improve things and not just be a consumer, but rather give back and try to improve things and do what's right for the habitat, the land, and the resource that we all love. That's, that's really what made me get the passion for the organization and really fuel this part of my career. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's a big part of my passion as well. And, um, as you know, you know, I was just able here not too long ago to, to buy my first property, um, little, little, even smaller than yours, but man, I've just, uh, had, had a, a good time already in this first year, uh, just getting to work on it. And, and like you said, just being able to try to try to give back a little bit and, and, and improve the quality, you know, maybe not on a large scale, but at least improve the quality of, of my little block of land here, you know, for, for wildlife. So. I can certainly relate to that. Uh, now, you, now you mentioned, of course, volunteers and branches, and and obviously branches are an extremely important part of the National Deer Association and and our ability to um, basically further our mission. Can you talk a little bit about you know what branches do and and why someone might want to be involved with a local branch? Sure. 
So our branches are essentially our, it's our grassroots, you know, it's the grassroots department. It's, it's the boots on the ground in all the communities across the whitetail range. And we have branches in the U.S. pretty much in every state where there are whitetails. But the branches, they volunteer for the organization. Um, they do several different things, one of which is, you know, trying to get more members in the area. They do some fundraising. Now that money is, some of it is shared with National to promote our programs, but the branches actually keep a good portion of that money local. That then they can fuel their mission work. And that's really what we're all about. You know, the mission of the uh, National Deer Association is to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. So our branches fundraise and then turn around and have some, some branches have, you know, modest amounts of money that they can do projects with. And, uh, other branches have large budgets every year, but they're able to do community projects. And we always focus around education. Of course, our field fork programs, there's youth hunting programs, um, venison donation programs or feed the hungry. There's, there's multitude scholarships. There's multitudes of things that our branches do, um, on behalf of our mission to, to promote the organization and, and further that mission. And it's, it's up to the group to decide, you know, a branch gets started. I always tell them, figure out why you're doing this. And the answers are always, they want to see the organization in their area. They're passionate deer hunters. They want to meet like-minded people like you and I, Brian, just love deer and deer hunting and want to see the future of deer and deer hunting uh, continue. That's the first and foremost. But at the local level, why do they want to be involved in the branch? And I have branches that are just three guys and I have branches that are 50 people. But that group gets to decide why they want to do this. What do they want to focus on? You know, we have some ground rules, obviously, and I can help them walk through that process. But you know, some branches have robust programs and other branches just focus on doing one or two small projects through the year and they do them really well. So certainly if you have any questions about getting a branch going or interested or if there's not a branch in your area, um, you know, you can start one. You can go to deerassociation.com and go to the tab branches and you can see the states, click on the state and you can see if there's a branch near you and there's contact information there as well. But you're always welcome to reach out to me at Mike, Mike at deerassociation.com. Yeah, one one of the cool things I get to do as communications manager here is uh, I put together the the branch news section of of every magazine of ours. So I I get to see a lot of those cool things that that the branches are doing, and it is it's amazing. Like you said, it's just a, a wide variety of different things, whether it's youth hunts or, or military appreciation hunts, field to fork events, um, you know, habitat field days. They're just just a whole variety of ways that these branches are working to, you know, improve deer hunting and, and, um, habitat in their, in their area, their communities. Um, so it's, it is really cool to see. And, and as you said here, I was going to, uh, you kind of answer my next question. I was going to ask you, you know, how someone who is interested in, in being involved in a branch or maybe starting a branch, uh, what, what would be their best, uh, step moving forward. And, uh, you, you mentioned it there. They can they can go right to our website at deerassociation.com and look for that um, find a branch or start a branch link um, at there at the the top of the website. So, but hey, hey while we uh, really wanted to get you on here today was to talk a little bit about planting and maintaining fruit trees and and more specifically apple trees. And, um, you know, we're kind of, I guess, moving towards that time of year, uh, depending on where you're at in the country to, to get that done. So, uh, I guess, can you just start us out by telling us a little bit on how you first got started, you know, with, with messing with, uh, fruit trees, apple trees. 
Sure. So when I first started to, about the same time I found the organization and became a member, it was around the time that I bought my, my farm here. And, uh, it's, it's, I live here. It's my primary house. So I was very, very passionate about trying to improve things. And, you know, apple trees, I, I think are great. Um, it may not be the lowest hole in the bucket, but, uh, it's definitely well worth it. And it's actually become pretty, pretty addicting the work of, of apple trees, but through, through my experience of wanting to have, you know, apples on my uh, property, I, I met some, some folks through a Habitat forum, and one of them is George Clifford. And George and I have remained very close friends today, but he has tons of apple experience, and I became self-educated at that point. Honestly, I had very little experience with apples other than, hey, I knew how to plant a tree and all that kind of stuff. But man, it gets really complex, and there's certainly things that I don't know, but uh, I learned a ton. Um, spent time with George. We wrote an article back, I think it was in 2012 in, in Quality White Tales, uh, Apple Addiction. That was a really good article. I had a lot of good positive feedback from, from that. Uh, I spent some time with some folks from Cornell uh, here in, in, in New York. There's a pretty robust apple industry. So I spent a day with one of their apple experts. We went around to different nurseries. I contemplated in getting into the commercial side of apple trees on a smaller scale. And then uh, decided not really to to do that, mainly because I I didn't want to I didn't want to give up my early successional fields that I have going on in <laughs> my farm to to kind of have more money coming in. But uh, became really educated and, and you know just really self taught with some really good um, good friends that kind of you know brought me along the way to uh, to get good experience and my my apple trees have been fairly successful. You know, with anything that you grow, I certainly had a couple setbacks, the couple trees and challenges that popped up, but overall, uh, all of them have survived and are doing really, really well. And, uh, I believe I planted them. I lost a hard drive. So I lost a lot of my notes from, from back in the day, but I believe I planted those apple trees in 2008 into 2009 is when I did the project. I bought my farm in 2007 and they're just, they're doing really, really well right now. So. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I just, bought 15 acres myself here last year that I'm, I'm working to improve, you know, the, the property for, for deer hunting and, uh, fruit trees are definitely a part of my plan. You know, I got, got plenty of hard mass trees, oaks, hickories, beech on the back half of the property. So I'm kind of focusing on, on the front half, seven or eight acres or so to do some fruit planting along with food plot and some early successional habitat, kind of like you spoke to there. But with that in mind, I guess, what's the better approach? Am I better off going in there and just scattering some some fruit trees around that seven to eight acres? Or are you better off planting those trees uh, in, in, I guess, more of an orchard scenario together? Sure. I guess, you know, I don't think there's a really a right or wrong answer here. I think it kind of depends on what your goals are, how your property sets up. You know, do you want it to be a draw for hunting? Do you want to basically, you know, supply some additional nutrition uh, throughout the course of the year? So I personally went with, you know, a block uh, kind of concept, which, you know, I would say anywhere from, you know, six, seven up to maybe 30 trees. And I'm primarily an archery hunter. I do rifle hunt and do muzzle load hunt, but the vast majority of my time and success here because of mainly because of hunting pressure. Uh, in smaller property sizes in, in New York is, is folks around archery. So with that in mind, I chose to go with a block. Um, so I kind of concentrated the trees in an area. I have wild apple trees, which we can get into a little bit too during our talk today. But um, from a planning standpoint, I just went with 
having him kind of concentrated at one spot. I wanted to have a concentrated spot on the property that I could hunt if I wanted to. And then also just for deer behavior, because obviously deer utilize that, that, uh, that resource really, really well. And there tends to be a lot of good deer action, um, you know, scrapes and rubs. You certainly don't want them running on your apple trees. <laughs> and there's some ways to prevent that. But uh, for certainly scrapes, they always happen. You're always going to sacrifice some lower scaffolds with, with the deer for sure. Um, but, uh, that's just the way I went about it, but you know, your property could be different. Maybe you want to have more scattered or you want to kind of have them walking around, you know, you need to think about pollination and it gets a little bit, you know, complicated when you talk about cross pollination and getting, getting things started. I think in most areas in the U S especially up here in the Northeast, there's so many apple trees that you don't have to worry about that too much, but also thinking about it when you do plant these trees that are scattered throughout, you know, your drop times on, on those apples and how that might impact either the resources available to them, travel patterns, or if you want to hunt from it. So I think it's, it's a complex question, but, um, you know, I, I prefer the kind of the block method and, you know, six, six trees will be a great place to start, you know, and I always tell people, if you're going to think about planting apple trees, you got to plant early and don't bite off more than you can chew. It's better to plant six this year and six next year or a couple each year than trying to do all 30 in one year, because as each year goes along, there's more and more work that gets involved. In that. So um, pace, pace yourself and set yourself up for success because it, it's, it can be a little bit expensive too, to get good quality apple trees in the ground. Yeah. Well, with, I guess with that scenario in mind, if, if I'm going to choose a, a, a block to plant my trees in, what should be, I guess, some of the considerations for me in, in choosing a specific location for the orchard? So apple trees do not tolerate wet feet. So you definitely don't want to be in really, really wet soil. Um, they also need lots of sunlight and they need airflow. It's critical for apples and presenting, uh, excuse me, preventing uh, disease with apple trees. So if you have an area in your property that uh, is relatively open, and when you think about the way that the sun rises and the sun sets, so from the east to the south to the west, you know, you want there to be low, you know, you don't want really tall trees around up close to your orchard because you want to have as much sunlight on your plantings as you can, as you can have. For guys up in the north, when we have frost issues in the spring, uh, low level areas you want to avoid, you know, you don't want to probably put them in a gully or a valley because that cold air is going to drop. Um, I have a very hilly property. The top part of my property tops off around 1700 feet and the lowest uh, corner of my property is around 1300 feet. So I chose obviously to plant on a rather large plateau, but I'm not in the lowest sections. So for Mike's and I have had some frost damage, but I've never lost a full uh, load of apples because of frost. So that cold air is going to drop. So I would certainly keep that in mind. You know, and trees want to have a good well-drained soil. Um, so if you have those characteristics and then if you're going to plant this for, you know, if it's just for food, you just want to add, you know, an option on the buffet table, you know, you don't have to really consider the, the site all that much other than those, those things that we just spoke about. But if you're going to use it for a hunting spot and you want to be able to you know, actually hunt the orchard, then thinking things about, you know, your stand access, your wind direction, where, where the deer are betting on your property, where they're likely going to come. Um, I really like, you know, obviously deer and I both love uh, transition zones, edge habitat, um, you know, just a mixed variety of habitat. So that's where I chose, which is kind of on an inside corner uh, where there's some hardwoods, there's some transition, there's an early successional field. There's two of them actually extremely close 
um, really thick cover, and then a relatively big three acre food plot. And part of that three acres is where I put my apple trees in the inside corner on that. And then it's followed by uh, uh, hardwoods to the uh, to the east. So that was the site that I kind of chose there. What about as, as far as soil conditions? Now, of course, you mentioned, you know, well drain. You don't want to plant them in a, in a low lying area that's going to hold moisture. But uh, what about as far as, you know, pH and and uh, your different soil amendments? I mean, do you need to treat this as you would, you know, a food plot or anything else and take soil samples and, and that kind of thing? For sure. Um you definitely want to think about your soil quality. They like, they like good quality soil. Um, they don't like, uh, certainly wet feet. Um, and from a pH standpoint, you know, you want to kind of be in that, uh, you know, six to 6.7 range for a pH. So you can certainly grab yourself a soil test in area that you think you want to want to have it in, um, you know, skip that set off. And it's obviously pH is relatively easy to, to change and accommodate, you know, and, and lime is something, through your orchard, you're going to have to watch your pH through through the course of, of the life of the orchard and, and spread some lime uh, in addition to some fertilizer during the maintenance phase and also the planting phase. But if you can find flat, fertile, well-drained soils and avoid heavy clay with that pH in that 6 to 6.7, you'll be doing yourself a really good, good favor. Um, you know, you want to think about your spacing of your trees. It's going to depend a little bit on what, uh, what rootstock you, you select in terms of the spacing and also the spatial need for your your orchard so we can we can touch base on that a little bit when we get into the rootstock stuff of things okay well let's kind of transition over into as far as what to plant now of course in this case we're pretty much focused on on apple trees um how would a person go about i guess choosing the the type of tree the type of apple tree to to plant the the you mentioned the rootstock there um, variety. I don't know if you can kind of explain the difference between variety and rootstock and, and just how you go about choosing the right one for, for your planting. Cause it, it seems to me just what little research I've done so far that there is a, a lot of different, you know, apple varieties out there, a lot of different options when it comes to, to planting something like this and, uh, for wildlife. For sure. So think of the rootstock as the foundation. It's the basement of our home. It's, it's hugely important. It's the feet, the foundation. It's also the characteristics of the tree. It's going to help us determine the growth, disease resistance, uh, even cold tolerance, anchoring abilities, and also, more importantly for us, time for the uh, apple to develop. Um, and also the hardiness of the tree. That's extremely important, especially for, for me up here. You know, we talk about, you know, bucks and how age makes a difference with a, with a buck. Well, rootstock makes a difference with an apple tree in a huge way. So you definitely want to find reputable nurseries when you're thinking about your apple trees. I would avoid buying from big box stores. They tend to be dwarf trees. And a dwarf tree, usually they're B9. They're going to grow seven, nine feet tall. You know, they're made for your home garden. You know, they're made for easy maintenance, which is great. but Think about deer and how they love to browse on apple trees. So, you know, you don't really want to dwarf apple trees. So I would buy from a reputable nursery and, and know your rootstock. A lot of times when you buy from a box store and you're getting those apple trees and they have really good deals sometimes when they're trying to get moved trees, they won't even list what, what the rootstock is. So now you don't know what you're dealing with. Um, the same from guys that want to plant, and I don't have no experience in this, but when you plant from seed, and wanting to um, 
to have apple trees, you know, you have no idea how long it's going to take for that apple to produce. It could literally be 30 years when you're, when you're going that route. So the rootstock, um, again, it's, it's, there's many, many different types of rootstock out there, but the ones I would focus on are M111, which is a semi-standard tree. Uh, the standard apple tree, this is our reference point. It's going to be about 30 feet in height. So a semi-standard is about 85% of that tree. That's an M111. It's a semi-standard. Um, and then there's a B18. It's near standard. It's, like it's also in that 85% range. And then there's an M7 or an M7. That's a semi-dwarf. Uh, and I have a lot of those and I have a lot of M111s. So the M7s or the MLA7s, they're about 60% of that 30 feet. So it's going to get in that 16 to 17 feet range. Now, based on that, you're going to have your, your planning um, space different because that's obviously the growth of the tree. Taller trees, bigger trees need more space. It's going to help determine your, uh, you know, your chances of, of flowering and then all your, your cold hardiness as well. More importantly, rootstock also contributes to disease resistance. Um, anywhere from woolly ap- uh, apple aphid to uh, fire blight to brown rots. And some of them actually will sucker a lot too. There's all different characteristics of these. Of these. So you can definitely get some good resources. And a good resource probably to plug right now, Brian, would be on the our YouTube channel, the National Deer Association. I did an hour-long talk with presentation on PowerPoint that has a lot of this good information that we're covering today. That'd be a good place to review as well. But I like M111 and I like M7s uh, for rootstock. Those are my my go-to with M111 probably being my preferred there. So if we're, if we're talking that again, that's that 60 to 85% of that standard apple tree that's going to be the standard again is 30 feet tall. You know, you're going to want to have space between them, you know, somewhere in that, you know, 20 to 40 feet apart, depending on how you want your orchard to look. So airflow and sunlight are important. So, you know, I went, I pretty much went, I believe on 18 feet on everything. And I have some branches that are touching when I go to prune, um, which is another whole huge topic right there. It's an art and science can get very complicated to talk about during a podcast, but you know, I can, I can remedy that. You also want to think about when you're buying your rootstock and then planting your orchard and you've got your site, you got to think about your maintenance. You've got to get in there and prune. You're going to have to probably get in there and spray. You know, you might want to, you know, plant something underneath it. Although depending on how you spray and what you're doing, you got to think about the bees and obviously, um, you know, the uh, pesticides uh, that uh, are going to kill apple diseases can also affect those uh, bees, which are critical for lots of things that, that we like to see grow in our world. So from the rootstock and then you get into variety. Um, and that's where people really get excited because that's what kind of apple it's going to be. So uh, I don't, do you have any questions on rootstock before we get into the variety just, side? Just, I know that's a lot of information. Yeah. yeah just to clarify for my, for my own mind here. So rootstock and variety are completely independent. There's this, the different rootstocks you're talking about can be found within all the different varieties of apple trees? Uh, I believe so. I have not researched it, you know, to say that you can't get, you know, a certain variety on a different type of rootstock. Um, you're probably only going to find in your area certain ones on those rootstocks. Um, but uh, they're independent things because the rootstock is basically the the foundation of that tree. The variety was, you know, going to be grafted onto that rootstock. You know, they, they take that and they graft it onto that 
I have not, uh, not done any, uh, any grafting myself, but, um, you can find varieties on all sorts of different rootstocks. So if you can get that M111, by far preferred, uh, it's got great anchoring ability. It's very hardy. Uh, MLA, uh, seven or M seven is really good. And then the 118s, those are certainly good as well. And there's other good varieties out there. I just don't really have any experience with them. There's some up here in New York, there's some Geneva uh, varieties that have been made just here in the last uh, 15, 20 years that seem to be doing quite well. But um, definitely like those M111s. And between those ones you mentioned, is there, you know, you mentioned the difference in height and everything. Is there a difference in, um, I guess, time to maturity uh, to where these, these plants will actually produce fruit? Or are they all going to be about the same? Yep. So, you know, it's, it's in terms of how many years, it's kind of, it's kind of hard for me to say, but in general, the M111 is going to be more of a late, you know, it's going to take more time than say the B9, which is a dwarf tree. You don't want that for your wildlife property. That's going to, that's going to fruit really easy. Um, the M7 is going to be more earlier one, but there's some things you can do to manipulate that. Um, and quickly, the first three years after you plant that apple tree, you really don't want apples growing. And you really want to pinch those flowers off. And I know that seems crazy, but the tree in the first couple of years, it needs to develop that root structure. And if it spends time, you know, flowering and then making fruit uh, from those flowers, it's going to expend a lot of energy. So it's better those first couple of years to not have that tree flower. You can also, if you have some trees that you think should be flowering and they're not, you can do some things when the tree is in the younger stage to to get it to flower. And I don't understand the, the full concept of flowering and what's going on, you know, from a hormone standpoint with the tree, it's pretty complex, but that's what it's based on is hormones within the trees. So, you know, my younger trees, I would train them, which means you've got your central leader coming up from the tree coming out of the ground. And then you've got scaffolds, which are your branches. So you can take those scaffolds and bend them down in the direction so the hormone gets, you know, trapped at the bottom or has a harder time getting out of the end of that scaffold. And that will force that tree to flower a little bit earlier than it would. Training is important because you want your scaffolds at good angles. You know, you don't want them growing up along your central leaders like the bee. And you don't want them just coming, you know, completely out straight because as that branch gets apples on it, the weight, the bending and breaking, which is going to happen. No matter what you do, you're going to have some branches break especially when weather gets involved. So it definitely can have an impact on how early that's going to, that's going to flower, but there's some things you can do. And again, those first couple of years, especially the first two years, I really wouldn't let that tree flower. I would pinch those flowers off and let it focus on, on making those, those roots good and strong. Okay. Well, with that, let's, let's get into, to varieties then. I, I kind of got, got a grasp of rootstock now. What, uh, what about <laughs> choosing a variety of, of apple tree. Yep. So variety is going to do two things. One, it's just, you know, what kind of apple it is. There's going to be your maturity dates. Uh, and then there's also some resistance to, to scab and to cedar apple rust, the fire blight, powdery mildew. Um, the variety has a portion of that and I don't understand it completely, but I kind of think about it, you know, from a deer sense about, you know, bucks, you know, have, you don't know what buck, uh, in terms of air, antler uh, quality is going to come out because the does involved with that as well. So I think of rootstock and, and the variety kind of going hand in hand in terms of, of some of this stuff, but for the home person, for the guy that habitat, the guy, you know, just getting the apples, I really like Liberty Enter- enterprise, crimson gold, uh, 
Gold Rush is a really good one too. Honeycrisp, especially if you want some apples for you, in my opinion, it's the best apple really to do. But I think from a, from a ease of growing, I think the Liberty is probably the easiest apple to grow. It's a relatively easy uh, tree to train. The maturity rate, at least up here, is going to be around middle of September. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all going to drop them, but you could start to see some drop. You know, anytime after the 15th of September to the 20th, moving into early October, they're going to start to drop. But some of those apples are going to hang on. It all depends on the weather, of course, as well, too, and, and what the weather has done from in terms of moisture leading up to that time. If it's been a dry, a dry year, we had a lot of moisture. Liberty, it's resistant to apple scab, cedar apple rust, fire blight, and mildew. So those are really good things to think about what it's, it's you know, tolerant of. You're still going to have to probably spray that tree for, for pests. And, you know, we think about uh, different things that like to eat uh, apple trees, either the wood or the fruits. Um, you know, generally you're going to have to spray. So it's not going to be the cure-all. There's still going to be some maintenance involved. The deer don't care. They don't have to be pristine apples like you're going to get at your <laughs> grocery store. But if you get overrun with pests, you can certainly have problems uh, with uh, with your apple trees. So, you know, I have a whole list of in that in that PowerPoint presentation that I did on YouTube of of trees listed out there. Um, Gold Rush is a really good one too. That one holds on really really late um, from an eating standpoint. I don't like Gold Rush at all. Liberty are pretty good. Enterprise is a huge big apple, very beautiful. Uh, apple. I have a lot of crimson gold um, on my place as well, and those seem to be doing very well. Um, and I have planted some some gold rush. So, or excuse me, honey crisp. I've already mentioned the gold rush, but I have I think seven uh, honey crisp on my on my place, and those are just a really delicious apple. So I was sitting in the stand and I watched deer come in, and I would say, "Yep, they go for the honey crisp too." But that's not scientific at all. <laughs> my observations of what apples are going to go go to first yeah and, I, and i'll make sure in the show notes i put the link to the youtube video so like i said the, the listeners can check that out and, and get some additional information or, or review some of what you're talking about here as far as root stock and varieties but uh, so we'll be sure to include that and it sounds like you kind of answered the questionnaire by what you've done yourself but it sounds like you would want to you're planting one of these orchards you, you want to mix it up some you don't necessarily i guess want to plant all your trees in one variety uh, is there any reason why yeah, you would plant so it all that, yeah the way that i did it i did it based on somewhat what it was available but i knew that liberty and enterprise and crimson gold uh and gold rush um were pretty good varieties for disease resistance especially when on the right root stock you know good uh, growing characteristics and then I looked at the maturity rate in terms of when those apples might be dropping. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to want them to drop a little bit in early season. And then during the prime archery season, and then even into, you know, into January to give them, you know, some, some more, uh, more things to, to eat during the, during the harder months here. So that's the way I did it. And then also just from a flowering and cross pollination. And again, I'm certainly not an expert on that topic, but I think it's good to have a mix in there. Um, I did plant my trees kind of like in rows or sections. So I put all my honey crisp in the same row, but you know, my orchard is, Oh, I'm going to guess maybe 60 by 40. And there's a couple of the trees that I, I planted additionally years ago that bump it out a little bit wider, but obviously those bees are going to work that and uh, that pollen from the, 
you know, is going to get transferred around from, from that side. But, um, you know, Liberty again is going to be around that September 15th. Um, Enterprise is going to be around that October 24th. Gold Rush is November 10th. Again, these are just maturity rates. That means when most likely that apple is going to be good to pick to consume, you know, and there's a lot of variables on your weather that can affect that time. So most apple growers, they just know and they taste test and, and they can figure it out on when things are going to be pretty good. That crimson gold that I referenced too is also a mid-September apple. So I've probably got um, 50% September, beginning of October, and some of them will drop earlier than that too. You know, wind, birds, uh, God forbid, if you have bears come in and knock some <laughs> apples on the ground. Uh, and then that October time and moving into that what November time is, is really good for me here in Western New York with our hunting season. Yeah. So yeah, you, you plant it right and plant the right varieties. You can, sounds like you can have, uh, apples pretty much dropping the entire deer season. So that, that, uh, that definitely sounds good. Now let's, um, let's get into the actual planting process and I guess just kind of start us out by what do we need to be buying to plant? Are we buying seedlings here? Are we buying, you know, trees and gallon buckets, five gallon buckets? What, what's, what's best to, to try to plant in this scenario? Sure. So I like bare root trees from a reputable nursery and you need to really think about what you want to order early. My guess is if we went right now to a couple of the reputable online nurseries that are across the country, that'll ship to your door. A lot of the varieties and rootstock that we may not want right now, you know, may not be available to us. So you definitely may even have to order, excuse me, a year in advance. So but that's what you want to get. They're going to be whips. So they're going to be bare root and they're going to be anywhere from 18 to 30 inches long. So they're going to be about the size and diameter of the end of your pinky. Some of them are even a little thinner, like a pencil when they come to you. So order early, um, ordering them early. Getting your soil uh, adjusted to that 6.67. You can dig your holes. Um, I, sh- I should say I like to plant in the spring just because the moisture is more consistent. It's just easier up here, I think, to do in the spring. So whenever the frost is out of the ground, you can dig. But you can dig your holes early if you want. I have done that with some of my trees. I would dig the holes, you know, uh, the fall before. So things were busted up and ready to go. When your trees do come, you want to unpack them. You want to keep them in shade, keep the, the, root, the roots really moist. And you got to have well ventilated because of some of the gassing that the trees will do can, can make them not do so well. So cool, dark, well ventilated area. And you got to keep those roots moist. Usually they come back from the nursery. They're going to be in some material that's really, really moist. You also want to have ready to go your fencing. And uh, you've got to keep the deer and other things that like to eat off of those trees young tender apple trees are you know it is uh it is it is the uh, tender lines of the venison (laughs) if you would or for wildlife out there you know it's just really good good growth that they're going to want to really eat so there's different ways you can fence i actually did some just circular enclosures around each each tree i used half inch uh, metal conduit they 10 foot lengths i think or they're 12 I cut them in half and that's what I use for my posts because they're relatively cheap. I think they might even at the time, this, this was again, 10 years ago. So things have certainly changed with the supply and demand that we're seeing. But I think that was even cheaper than the local green tea posts that I could get. Um, I just drove them in the ground. Those were my, my fence posts. And then I used um, just welded wire four foot high 
kind of cattle wire or whatever that you fencing that you can get from your local uh, farm supply store. And I think I cut, you know, 20 feet and then I just wove it together. So when I planted my whip, which again is a 30 foot kind of pencil to pinky size diameter tree, I was able just to lift this fence, set it over top of it, keep deer up. And then slowly thereafter, as my orchard grew, I think the following year, uh, I went to a block enclosure. So I used full, uh, I used um, heavy duty green tea posts. Then I used 10 foot conduits. So I put in the green tea posts and then I use UV resistant cable ties. And I put my conduit on that to extend those posts that were six foot tall now to 10 foot tall. And I put the cattle fencing on the bottom and then I used relatively inexpensive chicken wire at the top to basically make a block enclosure. So my entire orchard was fenced off for about uh, four to five years. I made it mandor so I could easily get in and out and also made it wide enough to get my mower in there to take care of the competition that's growing under the trees. But, um, you know, starting out, you can certainly just, uh, you know, fence them off the way that I described by cutting off a section of wire and uh, fencing and wiring it together and putting it over top of your tree. And the other thing that you want to have available as soon as you get the tree planted is window screen. And this is to help some of the uh, pests that like to eat or even voles. Um, you know, they like to eat the lower end of the tree, very tender bark, um, especially when they're young. So if you take, and this gets a little complicated on a podcast, but you take that uh, window screen and then you take a paper stapler and you cut a, oh, I don't know, 20 to 30 foot section of, or feet or inches, excuse me, 30 inches or less. I wouldn't go lower than two feet of window screen. And then you're going to want to make it as far as the width goes, probably about a foot wide. And you're going to wrap that around your tree and you're going to bury some of it under, under the, under the uh, soil. And then you're going to take your paper stapler and you're going to staple close the uh, window screen and those uh, paper staples as the tree grows in diameter will pop but if you staple them along the seams and so there's continual staples um, at the top and along the mid part of it all the way down to the bottom and then work your stapler out as that tree grows it'll easily pop those staples but it's still closed so pests can't get in there too and apple tree borers is a it's probably the number one and then voles and even even rabbits, I believe, like to eat those tender barks around the bottom of the trees. So having that stuff ready to go is key. Um, some of your whips that that come may have some scaffold branches on them starting, and some of them may actually have some leaves on them. So depending on on where you're getting them and how how there's different grades of of trees when you buy them that you can get. So having that protection of getting that stuff over there is really really well. Another thing to consider too is to make sure you have plenty of water when you're planting. Um, keeping when you're out planting, if you've got your trees in the back of your truck or on your tractor, or your ATV, keeping them out of the sun, the wind, even the wind can dry those roots out. So keeping those roots moist through the process of before you're getting them into the ground. Um, again, you can pre pre uh, pre dig your holes, and that certainly saves you uh, a bunch a bunch of time there. So um, outside of that, you can do some. Th- I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned uh, the protection from the wire and, the, and then the screen on the on the uh, around the tree itself. What about tree tubes? Um, are they worth using or is there a reason not to use tree tubes? Or Yeah, so I have not used tree tubes for two reasons. I was just taught not to use them. You know, I'm sure there's guys out there that I think they're fine and probably had success. But for two reasons, one is sun scald, which the sun can actually damage the tree bark. And I have seen it on on a tree or two. 
But more importantly, you can't see what's going on with that tree. You can't see if it's root suckering or if it's having low branches kind of kind of coming out that you might want to prune off and type of thing. So I have not used um, tree tubes. And when you get into spraying, you, you literally want to spray your tree from the ground up, especially in those early stages because of those things that like to eat eater apple trees. Um, so with the tree tube on, it would be hard to get, you know, your spray on that, on that area of the tree. I was going to mention that you can, you know, um, augment your soil when you're planting, you can, you know, you can use some peat moss, you know, you can use some shovel full of lime, you can use some well composted manure in your soil when you're planting your trees. You just want to mix it all up and you just want to use modest amounts to help that tree. And you really want to mix it up with your native soil. And when you plant the tree, there, there's going to be a union and that's that's where they put that variety onto that rootstock and in general that needs to be about two or four inches above above that soil and when you plant your trees you want to avoid j-rooting you know most guys that have planted trees understand the j-root but i'm sure there's some folks that maybe have never planted a tree when you put those roots into the ground you want your hole big enough and deep enough where when you put those roots in it kind of looks natural even though when you backfill it you know some of those roots are going to move what you don't want is to stick the tree in where you know, those roots literally look like the letter J coming back up. That's, that's not going to do any really good. So you want to avoid, avoid uh, J rooting. Uh, initially, right after planting, I water immediately. I do five gallons. So the way that I did my um, orchard and watering the first year or two, depending on how much rainfall you're, you have, you're going to have to get a rain gauge. But watering is really important. Um, the initial watering is really good because it helps remove some air pockets. And obviously, it gives moisture to that tree that just went through the stress of of, of getting planted. So how I did mine is I had a water tank that I would transport down there and I had five gallon buckets near each tree. This is after the initial planting. Initial planting, I just brought the big container down with gravity fed and just, you know, slowly watered around it. But I drilled hole into these five gallon buckets and then I left the buckets down there. So I would just pull up with my tractor and the hose and I would just fill the, the gallon, five gallon bucket of water up and move and move on. So it would slowly drain around the tree through that bucket you know it wasn't a perfect uh watering circumference around those those roots but it certainly did got the job and made it a lot quicker for me yeah now any is there any site prep that needs to be done before you you know dig these holes and start planting these trees did you go in and and spray with glyphosate or something to kill out the existing vegetation to you know reduce future competition or or what what do you need to do i guess to the the site itself before you start planting these trees? Sure. So I, uh, I brush hogged uh, is what I did the year before and it was late August, early September. And then we went through a winter. So everything that had grown up into the fall was definitely mushed down. So I did not spray with Roundup. You know, there's, they recommend not using Roundup around your trees for the first couple of years. Um, you know, even though we know that Roundup, you know, works getting on the vegetation and you should never use round up on the vegetation of an apple tree because it will set it back it potentially could kill it uh but even around the ground cover under under the trees they 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 recommend that you shouldn't really use it those first couple of years so i didn't spray mine i just dug my holes and then i used um you know i i used uh, pea gravel so um as kind of like a weed mat it also helps with anchoring it was relatively cheap for me to get and i had the tractor so i could get it there relatively easily weeds still eventually grow throat through them but, um, you know, in terms of mats or cardboard and those type of things, you can use those, but voles l- love to, to live under that kind of stuff. So that's why I avoid it. It was just the way that I was taught. I know guys that have used cardboard and have used, 
kind of the tree mats that, that we see um, to help weed competition. Uh, but I just went with stone, um, pea gravel, and then I went with crushed limestone and I'm, I'm a lot of them as well, which is a little bit more expensive, but it really packed in well. I have not had a tree topple over um, because of the roots in, and I, in one part of the orchard, I'm guilty to say that it's a little wetter than I, than I anticipated it. I haven't had any issues with that tree and some pretty heavy windstorms, you know, never getting, getting pushed up. And I think that stone certainly helps. You also, when you plant your tree, you want to, you know, you want to stake your tree, which can be used in that conduit. You can use a green um, T-post if you want. And they make some really nice rubber poly chain that just loops in itself. Um, you can get it from from no, most nurseries. You get one roll, you're going to have more than enough. The nice thing about it is it doesn't damage the tree. Um, it can be adjusted. So cut yourself a section off and then you can adjust it if you need to use it. So that would be a really, a really good thing to consider as well. Um, you want to keep that weed competition through the course of, the, of the, the tree's life if you can, especially those first few years, because that weed competition is going to, compete with those roots and it's going to suck up moisture and, and all that kind of stuff. And then it also just gives a place for those voles and those type of things to, to, you know, want to live. So, you know, keeping your orchard mode, if you can, and thinking about your spacing and what type of trees and what kind of mower that you have. Um, I have gone in with my weed whacker at times to try to get closer to the trees. I can't when the trees got more mature and I couldn't get in there to mow, but you want to keep that vegetation, you know, a little bit lower than, uh, and just having it grow up along, uh, along a, a field, like an early sectional field would do. Uh, what about fertilization? Do we need to fertilize as, as soon as we plant these trees? Yeah, I would. I would use um, Triple Ten if you can get it. It's, it's available at most nurseries or farm stores in, in your local area there. And you want to do about a half pound per tree. But you just want that mixed up into that soil after you dug your hole. You want to get that really good and mixed up. So all that fertilizer is going to be close to those roots and possibly burn them. You don't want to fertilize uh, if you're planting in the late season. You don't want to fertilize because you want those trees to kind of get dormant. So this would be for a spring kind of guy that's going to plant in the springtime. When it's my preferred time when that uh, frost is out of the ground up here, moisture is more consistent. And it's just what I've found best results for. After that first year, um, and you're going to and you're going to fertilize, don't do it again after June. because You want that tree to slow down and to you know, work through its progression of going into fall and kind of shutting down and the boost of fertilizer is going to pick it back up. Same with pruning. And we can get into that when we talk about pruning. Afterwards, um, as your tree is growing, you're going to do about a quarter to a half pound of fertilizer per inch diameter of the, of the trunk. And that's going to be measured about a foot off the ground. And you would do that out to the drip line and think about the drip line as the branches, the scaffolds, the umbrella, if you will. Those roots are going to roughly go out to the length of those those branches. So if your branches are going out four or five feet, that's your drip line I'm from the center part of that tree all the way around is where you're going to want to uh, put your fertilizer. And watering is is hugely important. And this past year up here, we had more rain this summer. It was absolutely crazy. Um, but you know, I had a couple of years there that um, you know was was pretty dry here, and I definitely had to water that first year, especially is critical. After the first year, you know, you can probably let it go a little bit, but I would definitely get a, get a rain gauge and just watch your, watch your rain. So, yeah. Is there any, any kind of indicators that, you know, a tree needs to be watered in that, that first year, two years, whatever the case may be. I mean, is there something to kind of keep an eye out for, or, or just maybe a, a specific amount every so often? I mean, what, what, how do you know, I guess, when and how much to water these things? 
Yeah. So, I mean, if your tree is looking like it's struggling and it's dry, it's probably most likely, I think probably the easiest thing to do is just to watch your rain gauge. You know, if you don't live at your property, try to watch the forecast and see if they have some, some cumulative rain, rainfall uh, monitoring on their website. But if you didn't have, you know, an inch or two of rain a week, I would definitely water at a minimum five gallons, you know, a week, um, especially in, in the hotter weather and especially in the south where it tends to be a little bit hotter and, and a lot more dry than it is is up here just as a rule of thumb that's what i would go with you know when the tree starts to look like it's regressing a little bit it can rebound and, and apple trees are really you know they're, they're really robust they want to live they want to survive um but certainly they can have setbacks and then they could they could you know certainly die from from drought conditions okay what about, let's talk a little bit about the maintenance process, I guess now we've kind of covered, you know, planting these things, choosing the trees and planting the trees. Um, there's, there's a good bit of, of maintenance that goes with, I guess, well, about any kind of fruit tree, I guess, but, but apple tree specifically, um, what kind of things are we looking at as far as uh, taking care of these things throughout their lifetime? Sure. So outside of watering um, and the fertilizing that, that we covered, obviously keeping pests away and those can be mammals in insects when I talk about pests. So obviously we covered fencing. Uh, the insects, you know, obviously it certainly helps to have a good, well-ventilated, lot of good sun, keeping the undergrowth under your trees, um, you know, mowed and, and, and stuff like that. And then we have to think about fungus and bacteria, things like fire blight. And obviously frost and drought are gonna be things that, that are gonna get after your apple trees. We've talked about that. And then of course the lack of maintenance, which uh, we're gonna get into now. So from my standpoint, the things that you can really do to really benefit your trees are to make sure that you start them off right with the right rootstock, followed by really good protective fencing, anchoring, uh, you know, the window screen, the fencing to keep the deer off of them and other things. And then we have to talk about training, um, pruning and spraying are going to be your next big things. So training is going to be when the tree is growing, especially in that early stage. Um, you don't want your, your, your scaffolds or your branches coming up like a V. You want them to coming out at a nice angle that, you know, not going to be straight out like a 90, uh, probably closer to a 45, you know, maybe 60 degrees, but, you know, definitely not coming out straight as a 90 or below, below that, just because of the weight that's going to be involved. So when you have younger branches coming out and when you plant your whips and they first grow that first year, you really don't want to remove any branches. The branch that grows on the bottom, the, the, the part of that, tree when it's at that level so if you got a branch coming out at your knee height most likely that branch when the tree is fully mature would be at your knee still but you don't want to remove those branches that first year maybe even the second year you don't want to remove those branches because it needs those leaves it needs that to gather that sunlight in order for those trees to be able to grow its roots but you can help train it you can do it different ways i've used um those pins and you just clip them on the central leader kind of pull your branch down at a decent angle and then clip the closed pin on to help it grow at that good angle. Uh, it may still curl up on you at the end, but getting it where it attaches to the scaffold, or excuse me, where the scaffold meets this, the central leader is going to be key to have strength. So there's other ways you can do it. I've used like 20 gauge wire. It's, I think it's electric fence wire that I've, that I've gotten on a big uh, spool. I still have it. I still use it for different things on, on the farm, but you can make um, a double-ended shepherd's hook with it. And you put that, uh, you know, flexible wire, cut it off at whatever lengths you need, bend it around so it goes around the central leader, 
and then bring it up and grab that branch and bend it around and get it pulled down. You want to do this when the tree is growing and young. You don't want to do it in the fall. You want to do it in the early spring and through the summer. But that's going to help with those um, angles as well. And if you want a tree, you think, man, this tree is not, you know, having flowers. It, you know, it should, you know, you could try that method to get the tip of that tree uh, on those branches pulled down to keep those hormones in there and kind of force it to fruit. Um, so that's kind of the training of things. When it gets to pruning, you want to prune your tree when the tree is dormant. So for up here, for me, it's going to be that January, February, March, which is a pain because I'm usually going through anywhere from at least ankle deep up to potentially waist deep snow. <laughs> but you want to be able to prune that tree, um, you know, when it's dormant. Uh, apple trees need so many chill hours and it gets really complex. I don't completely understand it, but it's basically, it needs so many days or hours at a certain temperature, which is in that 30 degree or below range, or even some apple trees, even 40. So you guys in the, in the South, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about it, but it's one of those questions you want to look into when you buy your trees is, Hey, is this tree going to work good for me for my area where I live based on my temperatures because of those chill hours that it does, does need? There's certainly probably some varieties that are going to do a little bit better down in the south. Um, so look into that type of a type of thing. Again, it's it's very complex. You could look in with your local uh, extension office, um, you know, for more information and guidance. But um, pruning is always done when when the when the uh, tree is dormant, with the exception of two things. Water sprouts, which are limbs that come off your scaffolds, they go straight up. Those can be removed at any time during the growing season. Um, and dead wood, especially on older, older trees or wild trees that you have on your farm, um, you know, you can remove that dead wood early. If there's a disease section of wood that you have um, and you want to prune it or you had some wind damage or maybe a bear got in there and damaged it and you really think you need to you know, remove that scaffold because it's cracked and open and you're worried about other things you can do. You can go ahead and do that. Just remember, the tree is going to respond, and it can respond in a negative way when you prune. Um, if you prune in the off season or during the growing season, it's going to stimulate growth, right? That tree recognizes, man, this is a change that just happened. There's this hormone response, this chemical response, which I don't fully completely understand, but it stimulates the tree to respond and to grow. That's that tree's job is to grow and to survive. So if you do it in the dormant season. It's still going to have an, an effect on that tree, but it's going to be much more subtle. The response is going to be much more controlled and easier to manage um, versus kind of going all haywire in, in the growing season. Um, and pruning is extremely complex. It's an art and science. I still struggle with some pruning um, techniques. It's extremely hard, in my opinion, to pull off on a podcast. But there's some good YouTube videos out there. And actually, my buddy, George, Clifford and I plan on uh, this dormant season. He plans on coming to my my place here, and we're going to try to do a uh, a video for National Deer Association on pruning. And I, I want to do one of my trees that I planted about eight or ten years ago, uh, and then also hit one of the uh, wild trees um, when we're doing that to give folks some some really good tips on uh, some really good videos. When we're talking about wild trees and pruning, the rule of thumb is only do your pruning uh, one third each year. And what that means is dead wood can come off and don't consider it in the third. But if you're looking at that tree and it's got to be pruned and it hasn't been touched in years, do it over the course of three years and do it in that dormant period. Um, just because those, you know, those wild trees, those older trees can really have some profound changes, negative and positive from, from pruning. So just go slow with it. Be, be over the course of three years. Um, the first thing with wild trees, since we're on that, 
is you definitely should release it. So that means cutting any trees that are blocking out the sun and also air, but more, more so the sun, you know, on the east, south, and western side of that tree. Um, so it gets that full sunlight there. And then outside of training, we've covered pruning, and then it's, it's pest management. And this is outside of the fencing stuff, and it gets into kind of spraying. Uh, there's generally two types of spray that folks use in the apple industry. Uh, and I'm just going to give general advice because obviously labels are law, and then each, each area has its own laws. In New York, we have some pretty restrictive things on when it comes to different types of spray that you can use. So always check with your local regulations and your extension office if you have for guidance but in general you're going to people are going to use a, a fungicide which is going to kill uh, fungus um that is by far um the most common one and i'm you know one that's fairly common but again i don't know if it's if, if you're allowed to use it um you know will be kept in um so just check with your local regulations there but fungus is going to be things such as crown rot sooty sooty blotch fly spec cedar rust powder and mildew uh, some scab and some other type of things. So you can spray that. Um, you don't want to wait until you start seeing the problem with a lot of these things. You do need to have some control when it comes to the pesticide type of, of issue. But in terms of the, um, you know, pre preventing the fungus that can be done, you know, in spring when things are starting just to get going, you can, you can spray. Um, you just don't want to wait until you, you know, have a problem. For, for the fungus side of stuff. When it comes to the pesticide thing, you don't want to spray when the tree is flowering because of the honeybees. And you, so you don't want to spray really any pesticide. There's some oils you can, you can use. I have not used any of those. So I haven't really researched it too much, but it would be like a dormant oil spray that you can use in early, early spring and put on there. Um, but I have not done that. So I've never even really sprayed and for me in new york you know this the spray that i can use without my pesticide licenses you know is seven and again the label is still in the law there so you've got to use it within the confines of of that label but i'm not going to use that you know until those flowers are gone so they call it petal fall now the other thing with seven that you've got to be thoughtful of is it also can um can thin your apple tree it's it's a chemical thinner so that's a thing that we really haven't talked about, but it's certainly part of the maintenance and we can cover it while we're here. If your apple tree, even five years out, you know, if there is way too many apples on one branch and it's sagging down and almost going to hit the floor, you know, that, that branch is likely to break. So you don't want a bunch, too many apples on your, on your trees. Now, commercial orchards, they do a chemical thing. And I've done this a little bit, but, uh, you know, you've got to do some reading. You've got to look at your label. Um, but seven, if you spray it at the right concentrations at the right time of the apple from flower to it starts to make its, its, its apple, if you spray it at the right time, it can chemically thin that tree. So it's going to help you out in, in, in reality. But you've got to know that you may have some apples drop off if you don't do it at the right time or you're using a different amount. So it's definitely something to be, uh, you know, to, to keep back your mind as a consideration for your, your spraying method. In general terms, you want to use integrated pest management when it comes to a lot of this stuff, especially with, with the pests. And that is, you, you just want to spray when you have to. Another thing you should know is that, you know, a lot of these stuff, in some states, you can probably use Imidan. And in New York, you cannot use that without a, you know, without your license. But a lot of these uh, things, you know, have health consequences to, to, to us. So you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to get educated. You've got to read those labels. 
you know, you don't want to get it on you. You don't want to breathe it in. You want to spray it at the time, which is generally early in the morning when there's not a lot of wind. Um, you know, you don't want to get this stuff on you in your eyes, on your skin and your lungs. You know, it's just, it's not good stuff. Even, even the cap tent, I, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to spraying and health consequences, but these are chemicals that you don't want, um, certainly on you. So you need to keep that all in, 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 into your mind when you're thinking about this, generally speaking with, with apple trees during the spray time, which is going to be, again, the fungicide can go before the, you know, before petal fall. Um, and then your pesticide and your fungicide after the petals have fallen, it's about every two weeks or depending on how much rainfall you've had. So after about two inches of rain, a lot of that stuff has been washed off of those trees. When you're spraying, you don't, you don't have to have it so it's soaking wet where it's just dripping off. You're using way too much. That's not good for the environment. You basically want a very light coat a good mist on these trees from the trunk all the way up to the top and all the leaves and all the branches just covered really well. So again, your rain gauge is going to be really important. There's also rules and regulations on when you've got to stop spraying in terms of when it's safe to consume those apples. So you're going to want to look at your maturity rates and then read your labels and have a good understanding on that as well. So it's very complex. Uh, there's health considerations for yourself and the environment. And there's also local laws. So I just caution you to really get educated and really read on, on what you should do. But those can prevent a lot of problems. You basically don't want anything born in the tree from a pesticide, you know, insect. Um, there's, there's some things like PC um, that will get into the apple and uh, kind of lay its eggs and stuff. It's not going to kill the apple. It's just going to give them a lot of blemishes. Again, deer don't care, right? <laughs> but right. if you want to have this, this, this apple, or if you want to show someone that you've grown your apple and there's all these scars and things from it, no, that may not be the, the best thing. By far, the biggest culprit from a pesticide that's going to affect your apple trees is anything that's going to eat the leaves. So that um, is by far what you really want to, uh, you know, be be considerate of is, is the things that are going to defoliate that tree. So um, certainly fire blight and uh, apple cedar rust is certainly a consideration that you got to be uh, considerate of. But when it comes to pests, you know, you're thinking about your aphids, your tree borers, apple maggots, coddling moths. Mites, reef, uh, leaf rollers, Japanese beetles, caterpillars. We had gypsy moths here uh, the year before and then this year. And uh, it was like my oak trees on the whole side of my hill, all the leaves gone. It was just insane. So that can happen to your apple trees. So if you're not treating and spraying your apple trees, those you know leaves would have been taken out. And I did have a couple of apple trees that were completely wiped out with leaves. These were trees that I had planted just on a different section of the property not in my block enclosure um completely de-leaf tree last year because i didn't get this to, to spray them and the trees relieved so it's not good on the tree you know that might make the tree do some weird things it may only produce apples every other year or may have a bumper crop this year um but anything that can defoliate that tree is is not to be good for your for your apple tree so that's that's why you're using a, a pesticide so Will your tree survive if you don't have a major outbreak like like was here in Western New York um, without any spraying? Absolutely, especially if you get you know rootstocks and varieties that have a good combination of um, of protection will certainly aid in, into that. But um, you know spraying if you're able to is certainly going to help you have better apples, more apples, and have a healthier tree. Yeah, good stuff. I- anything else here? I guess that we haven't touched on that you know someone interested in planting apple trees or other fruit trees might need to know 
Yeah, I would just say, you know, it's there's a lot to learn. It's a lot of fun, you know, growing apples. Um, I think it's really good for, for wildlife. It adds another thing to the buffet for them. You can have some apples for you. And I always knew when hunting season was near because I got my, I always used to say, yep, we got apple pies cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> and my scent-free laundry soap has made an appearance from, from the closet. So those were two kickers that apple season was going on, or hunting season was was approaching here. I would just think about it. You got to plan early. Um, you got to be strategic, start off small, get yourself educated. Um, that article that I, I think it was, you know, 2012, I don't know if we can get that full article up, um, you know, on the website, Brian, but it's a really good article. Uh, it's quite lengthy. So I'm not sure if it would meet the criteria for that. Um, certainly the YouTube channel, this podcast will help as well. The YouTube channel has got a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here, just with some visuals for you to see kind of what I've done. Um, looking in, if you do Cornell University and you type in um, integrated pest management, there's some really good resources out there for folks. Some really, really good resources. Uh, they even have them for, for the novice like us, you know, and they have them for the commercial orchards as well. It talks about integrated pest management. You can look up a specific problem and figure out a good solution for it. Um, ordering your trees early, thinking about your site. But more importantly, I would just ask yourself too, before you get into this, and I think you should, if, if your properties come along and you're still doing a lot of good projects and, and it's not just a focused thing with the food, um, you know, just think about those lower holes in the bucket and you may have to, you know, uh, get this uh, taken off in a couple of years or so, but you can start small. I would say, you know, if you were to get yourself two to four trees, it'd be a good place to start. And if I had to pick, I would probably go with Liberty and then probably Crimson Gold, Gold Rush, or Enterprise, if I could. But Liberty being an absolute must, because I think it's a great, easy apple, easy to train, good tree to grow. Getting on that right rootstock um, and just being prepared would be a really good good place to start and not be overwhelming with the amount of work. It's, it's a lot of work if you've got a ton of trees, unless you just want to throw them in the ground and hope that they do well. But <laughs> a, good, a good tree... From a reputable nursery, from my experience, shipped is going to be in that 25. This is again, this I haven't bought trees in probably eight years, but I remember them being somewhere between that, you know, 25 to $34 a piece shipped to my door. So certainly not cheap. Um, but uh, man, they're, they're doing great right now and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, good deal. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking time out here today to, to talk to me about, uh, fruit trees, apple trees, and the whole process. I know I've, I've learned a good bit as I start my kind of tree planting journey myself here on, on my property. So uh, I've enjoyed it. And I know, you know, the listeners have uh, learned a lot as well. Good deal. Good deal. Well, I appreciate that. And if anybody has any questions about starting a ranch or getting into the apples, you know, certainly feel free to reach out to me at Mike at association.com and Everyone in the hunting season or about to start their hunting season here for the guys in the extreme south, good luck, be safe, and enjoy the holidays. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Mike Edwards. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us 
uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends. <laughs>